Thank you, Jackie. And uh, you know what? I do appreciate your prayers and your patience with the pastor search team. It's not, most of you people think it's like, it's like, okay, we send out resumes, you know, we hire somebody and that's it, you know. Um, and, and it really is a matter of, these guys have been really in prayer and just some agonizing things they've gone through trying to, trying to determine God's will for us in this. And, and trust me, you will know this person early enough to do your research before we, before, we, uh, before we have a vote. But there is a certain sort of timeline that has to be, has to be followed just, just properly, not to control information, but just out of respect to, to the candidate and his current church and, and all sorts of stuff like that. So, uh, and Jackie, thank you for that update. Appreciate it. In fact, let's pray for the pastor search team right now. Father, I thank you for those six men and women who have just um, dedicated so much time in this process and have just yielded their lives to you so much. Father, thank you for a church that is just filled with, with leaders who, who really just seek, seek your glory and your will and not what's convenient, not what's easy, not what meets our own personal preferences, but what, uh, what is best for, for your kingdom and for our place in that kingdom. So, Father, we thank you for that. We can lift those guys up, their, their spouses, their, uh, their, their families that, that are having extended times away from them as we have our two- and three-hour meetings. Uh, Father, we just, again, pray for the, the guidance here. Father, as, when it comes to the time of the church to, to examine this person and to, and to vote, um, Father, I just pray that you'll give us all wisdom and show that you can speak through, um, through all of us as we believe in the priesthood of the believer. So. Thank you, Father, and we look, we look with anticipation and joy towards your preferred future for us as Fresno Church. Father, we, just, we exist for your glory, and we thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, great. They have, they have done well, and so we're looking forward to this. And, um, and people ask, real quick, people ask me, said, how are you feeling about this? I'll be sad to go, but you know what? This is what I was, what I was, what you guys called me to do. So this is my job with you guys. This is the role that I have to fill. So we're excited about that. By the way, real quick, I know Hunter's going to mention it a little bit later, but I just want to say quick thanks. If you notice, the church is cleaner today because we had a bunch of people who came over here and worked hard. All right, and so uh, for those of you who think pastors just work one hour a week and you complain that I work too long at the, during that hour. Uh, I worked yesterday too. Hunter had me down on the floor, uh, cutting strips, strings off of carpets and stuff, and there was nobody there to help me up. So I had to get up all by myself. So that was like it was rough. So um, uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, today I want to talk about this is a central idea of what I want to talk about today. Our relationships don't depend on who we are but on who Jesus is. And I want to illustrate that for you here. I want you to look at the screen real quick. I think we have it up here. Do you guys remember back in the eight, 80s, 90s, the magic eye pictures? Do we have? All right. Now, you may be hard to see that, but if you guys remember this, there was an image there. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you a long, so it may be hard on the screen there to see, but if anybody sees the image, raise your hand. I want to see if you can, guys can figure it out. You guys, all right, the boys do over there. Okay. Man, the Bradford boys, just they're sharp, man. So anybody else see it? All right, Christine. All right, good, good. All right, we don't have time to t look at it there, but it's it's the picture. It is the picture of a shark. Is what it is. There's a picture of a shark in there. So, uh, and it is there. I've seen it. It becomes a 3D picture of it. You can find it online. You can find lots of examples of those. But here's what I want to ask: Is it, is it when we look at this, it illustrates that sometimes 
we don't see what's really there. That there's more behind that we just see on the surface and there's, there's more depth behind the things that we're noticing. And today I want to ask you not the question, what do you see? But the question today is, who do you see? Who do you see as you look around? And we're going to find an example where Jesus illustrated that for us in John not John, I'm so used to being in John, Luke chapter 7, sorry, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 48. Now, it's on a handout. If you didn't get a handout, we can get one for you. By the way, there's a post-it on the back of your handout, too, so save that for later, all right? That'll be at the end of the, end of the message. But it'll be on the screens. It's also in your handout there, and it's also in the uh, chair Bibles uh, also. So Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 48, an encounter Jesus had with a couple of people. Who were, who were trying to follow him. So let's read. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's home, in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with, with her tears. She wiped her feet with her hair, his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her many sins, have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. That to me is one of the most beautiful stories in all the Gospels right there. Today we're going to have a little bit of a, a different kind of message. You know, normally my messages are, if you follow, I usually try to have, uh, you know, three po- uh, in a opening story, three points, and then something we do at the end, okay? Uh, but today we are only got a couple of points, and they really just come out of a story. So I want to kind of retell the story of Jesus here a little bit. But first, I do have one other story for you, since I, since, since I didn't hear, and I, I was going to skip it, but I told some people I was going to tell this story, so I guess I will. Um, that idea, have you ever heard that idea, it's not what you know, but it's who you know? You guys have heard that? Uh, we've got some people in our church that are looking for jobs, and you've heard it, Kristen? Yeah, good. So, um, you know, it, it really is the case. Most of the jobs I've had, that I've, that it's been based on who I knew, not, not what I knew. Um, Short story, you've heard me tell the story about my time that I spent as a, as a missionary doing magic in the summer. And so I was at New York City. I tell this story because it was a very meaningful summer for me. But the summer, the, I had a, a day off. 
And so I decided to leave the team and go walk, walk, I walked across midtown Manhattan from Times Square over to the UN building. I just wanted to see the UN. Um, let's say the, the rest of the team was getting on my nerves, but really I think I was getting on there, so I just needed a break. And so I went to go visit the UN, and uh, I was a poor missionary at the point. I walked down, I looked around the visitor center. I wanted to take the tour, but the tour was like eight bucks. That was like a fortune to me back, in, back when I was a, a poor missionary at, back in the 80s. Uh, so, you know, and eight bucks is like 150 million a day or something like that, I think, with inflation and stuff. So I didn't take the tour, and I just walked, having just seen the, seen the, the visitor center was all. As I was walking down the street, a lady stopped me, and she goes, you're the magician. And I'm like, okay, that was just weird. I said, yeah, it turns out her church is one of the churches that brought us in, and she had seen me doing the magic at Central Park, and she'd been in the thing. And so we got talking. She said, have you seen the UN? I said, no, and I explained the situation. She says, wait, follow me. And we walked up to a gate that said delegates only. And she flashed a badge and said, he's with me. And I walked into the delegates gate. And then for the next two hours, she took me all around the UN, showing me all the stuff there. And we would cross some of the, some of the, the uh, tours that people had paid for. And I could hear the tour guides telling them the same thing she had told me about the different things that were there at the UN. And then we walk into this little room, a little 10 by 10 room. And she says, hold on a second. And she looks around and she says, okay, come on. She opens the other doors and went through. And I walked out onto the platform of the General Assembly. And so I got to stand. It's one of my, if I ever do two truths and a lie, it was one of my lies. Is I was able to speak from the podium of the General Assembly. It was just me and my friend there. That was all that was there in the room. But I was able to speak. Actually, the, the tours were up in the balcony. They just had to go across the balcony. They were looking at me like, who is that guy? Why does he get to stand there? I was nobody. I was just somebody who knew somebody was all. And so it was actually, I actually even got to go to the UN Security Council meeting and I sat in the chair of the chairman of the Security Council. It was the Russian delegate that year and I put my feet up on his desk. All right? Don't tell me. All right? Okay. Again, because, because I was special, no, I was just a poor missionary from California who just happened to know somebody. Well, knowing somebody is super important. Here's, so this is the first thing I want to learn out of this story we have here is that our relationship with Jesus depends not on who we are, but it depends on what he has done for us. That's the key thing. I want you to remember, our relationship with Jesus depends not on who we are, but on what he has done for us. So let's look at this story. This story is told uh, in, in Luke. Yeah, there's a couple of stories in the Bible about women washing Jesus' feet. And uh, we think, uh, in one story, it's Mary Magdalene. We think this was a different story. This was probably not the story of Mary Magdalene because there's some differences there. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to retell the story for you. I want you to keep your Bibles open or the, a sheet out there because I'm going to use a combination of what's in the Scripture, but I'm also going to bring in some things that we know from the culture of that day. So I want you to be able to follow the Scripture so you know what I'm telling you from what the Bible has written there and what I'm telling you from how we imagine it might have happened, all right? So not everything I'm telling you is biblical, but I think it's truthful today, all right? So Jesus is in, uh, either in Bethany or Capernaum. We're not really sure which one he's in. Depends on which story that this is. And so he's visiting the town, and there's a Pharisee there. Now, many Pharisees followed Jesus. Think about Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees who followed Jesus. And there were a lot of Pharisees who did. But this Pharisee might have been what we might call a, a, a celebrity collector. So inviting Jesus over to his house for dinner was sort of his thing of, you know, getting Taylor Swift's autograph or something like that. It was just the cool celebrity in town. He had him over for dinner. Now, in the same town, there was a woman 
that somehow knew something about Jesus. We don't know how she knew. Here's my guess. We also know that Jesus had many encounters with people, like the woman who was caught in adultery. And she had an encounter with Jesus. And from some other indications of some of the things in the story, this woman may have been either that woman, because this might have been Bethany, or it could have been a woman in a similar situation. But most likely, she had already had an encounter with Jesus. It's not like she could watch him on YouTube back in the day. It's not like he was known as a celebrity. She already had a love for Jesus that only comes from knowing Jesus personally. And she heard that Jesus was going to be at this Pharisee's house. And she wanted to be near Jesus. Now, you can't just walk into somebody's house and crash a party, can you? Maybe some of you have done that in your past, and, and, uh, but, but, but that's not usually what you do. But there was a way that somebody uninvited to a party could go to a party. Because there was a tradition back then. Jews, the Jews had a tradition of hospitality. And so because there wasn't refrigeration, you know, if you have a party that you have leftovers for, for a week or whatever, they couldn't have leftovers. Any food that was left over was spoiled. So there was a tradition that said poor people, people who needed food, who were indigent, could actually go to the party. But they had to stand on the corners against the wall and wait for the party to be over. Then when all the guests were finished, they were allowed to go take the leftovers and go feed their families with it. It's a great tradition, much like a restaurant that would donate their leftover food that day to a, to, to a rescue mission or a, a feeding center or something like that. Wonderful tradition of hospitality that they had. And so in this place that was probably in a plaza, a lot, a lot of homes were built around a central courtyard. And so as Jesus came over to this place, there was a large center table. And then it says in the Bible, Jesus reclined at the table. And so they didn't eat sitting in chairs like we did. What they did, they would be on benches. And they would lay with their head toward the, toward the table and their feet splayed out behind them. They would usually rest on their left elbow and they would eat with their right hand, with their table like that and, the, and laying down. That was the tradition. That's what it says he reclined at the table. And so the poor people would come and they would stand against the wall of this courtyard where they are while the people were eating. And so this woman goes there as one of the poor people in the community. Maybe she was poor, maybe she wasn't. Maybe she just said, I'm willing to be cast my lot with that group to be near Jesus. And during the dinner, she manages to maneuver where she's right behind Jesus. She so much wanted to be close to him because she loved him that much and just needed to be near him. And as she's standing there, against that wall, I'm going to move further so I'm not out of the light here for you guys. She's moving Jesus' feet are right there in front of her. And she notices that his feet are dirty. It was a tradition that day when you had a guest at your house, you would, you or one of your servants would wash the feet of the people because they wore sandals, the streets weren't paved, they were dusty, and so it was a very typical thing of hospitality. And no one had done that for Jesus. Now, I don't think that the woman came there with the intent of crying on Jesus' feet. I don't think that was her thing. I think I'll go to the party and cry on Jesus' feet. But as she's looking at his feet and she's feeling this love for Jesus, she begins to tear up. And her heart's so filled with this love that's experienced with Jesus she's had that many of you had. All right, you're going to see your pastor cry again. I'm just a big baby. 
I don't know, I told you I'd do this, didn't I? All right. So, okay, yeah. So I'm going to just leave that right there because I'll need it again. Her tears begin to well up just as, just as I did. Yeah, I'm a big baby. If you're a man about this, get over it. All right. <laughs> that her tears begin to well up and her tears begin to drip onto Jesus' face, onto to Jesus' feet. And you know what happens when dust gets wet? Makes a muddy mess, doesn't it? And I think she's looking there going, oh, no, I'm, I'm getting Jesus. I'm making mud on Jesus. What do I do? And she starts to cry even more. And then she notices that the mud begins to wash away some of the, the, the tears begin to wash away some of the dirt. And she thinks, oh, my goodness. Maybe that's why I'm here. That I can do what nobody else has done for Jesus. That I can clean his feet. And so she, or she lets her tears fall on Jesus. And the mud begins to wash off, but she still needs to wipe it off. She wasn't prepared for this. This wasn't her intent. She'd have been her tent. Sorry. She'd have come with rags. She'd have come with something to do it, and she didn't have anything to wipe off his tears with. So she does something that's unthinkable for a woman in polite society. Like most women of that day, she had her hair up in a, up, pinned up, up high. And she reaches up, and she pulls the pin out of her hair and lets her hair fall down. Now, the only women that went around like that in public of that day were women of, let's say, less than respectable morals. That might be a crude way of saying it, but you know what I'm saying. And she says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humiliate myself in public here and let my hair fall down. And then she kneels down at Jesus' feet and uses her hair, the only thing she had, to wipe his feet clean because she loved Jesus that much. And then, as she's kneeling down before Jesus, she notices what she's wearing around her neck, a small alabaster jar filled with a very expensive perfume. Now, why did she have that? Well, actually, in that day, a lot of women had that. A lot of women couldn't be involved with the banking system back then. And so the only way they could save money they could keep coins somewhere, but that was, you had to keep track of that, and that would stack up. So like many women of her day that ha had access to money, that had, that had when she had extra money, she would exchange it and buy this very expensive perfume. We don't know what, what perfume it was, but most of the perfumes back then were very expensive. And she would put it in this alabaster jar, wear it around her neck where she could keep it safe. So in essence, she had her 401k around her neck right there. And as she bends down to wipe his feet, and again, the Bible doesn't tell us this is how it happened. This is my imagination here. But the facts of the story are still true. She notices the pendant there, and she thinks, what can I do for Jesus? I can take this and anoint his feet. Now, we know from another story about this that a jar of that could be worth the equivalent of a year's salary. Think right now, would you be able to take, think of what you made last year. Would you be willing on a whim to lay that at the feet of Jesus? Most of us would be hesitant to do that. Most of us, if we did that, there'd be a long talk with our spouse at the dinner table about that, wouldn't we? But this woman because of her love, the overwhelming love she had for Jesus, begin to crack open that jar 
And whatever she had, I don't know if it's a year's salary or not, but whatever she had in that jar, she used it to anoint the feet of Jesus. You see, this woman was nobody. I mean, because we don't even know her name. The Holy Spirit didn't, didn't see a need to reveal her name. I think we'll get to meet her one day in heaven. Then she can tell you how much I got wrong in the story, okay? But that was her love for Jesus. She was who she was, not because of who she was, because of what Jesus had already done in her life. How she humiliated herself by coming into the party, taking her hair down, and then sacrificing her 401, her savings, to help out Jesus. If we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, we will love him and want to serve him just as this woman did. But now Simon, on the other hand, is a different story. Simon is a very different story. Simon shows us that our relationship to others depends not on how we see them, but on how Jesus sees them. Not on how we see them, but on how he sees them. Let's look at Simon. Simon's thinking to himself, Jesus can't really be a prophet. If he did, he would not let this woman touch her because she's a sinner. Now, did he mean a garden variety sinner? Maybe. More than likely, she might have been a woman who would, we would normally call a woman of ill repute. Again, you could look at it from another way of saying a woman just trying to make a living at that day, trying to survive, but she had that experience. Maybe Simon had used her services at some point. We don't know. That's just conjecture. But Simon had the opinion that this woman is a sinner, and that's how he saw her, just as a sinner. And Simon is saying this to himself. Here's the scary thing. It says, Simon said to himself, if he knew this woman was who she was, he wouldn't let her touch her. But Jesus answered him. Isn't that scary? Simon said to himself, and Jesus went, Simon, I have something to tell you. Here's the thing. If Jesus ever says to you, I have something to tell you, my response is, oh, no. Oh, no. Simon, clueless. Just say it, teacher. Go ahead. Just say it. I thought, you should not have said that. And Jesus tells the story of two people who owed money. He uses that term denarii. That was a day's wage. That's what it was. A denarius, and, and denarii is the plural of it there. And that's all it means. So one person owed 50, the other owed 500. Today at minimum wage, at minimum wage, that would be $6,200 uh, $6, one person owed, and the other owed $62,000 at minimum wage. So that gives you an idea of what it was. And of course, the point of the story is the one who's forgiven more will, love, will, will, will be more appreciative, more loving. And Simon got it right. But then Jesus does this other amazing thing. This to me is the key verse for me. It says Jesus turns to the woman, but he says to Simon, do you see this woman? And Jesus already knew the answer was, no, Simon didn't see her. He saw what he thought he knew about her, but he did not see her. And he tells, and he makes the second comparison. He says, I walked in, you didn't have anybody wash my feet, but she's washed it with her hair. 
She showed a love for me that you didn't show. Why Simon did, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but he didn't. He said, you didn't greet me with a kiss, which was common back then to greet each other. You hear it in the Bible, greet each other with a holy kiss. That was very common for men to, to kiss each other. Um, and so uh, as a greeting, he said, but she, since she's been there, has not ceased to kiss my feet. And he says, you didn't anoint my head with oil. That's a little bit weirder thing. They didn't have shampoo like we do back then. It was dusty. Had to keep their hair manageable keep it from just being all frizzed out and everything, they would put oil in their hair to help keep it down and keep smooth and help clean out some of the, help the dirt slide off, that kind of thing. He said, you haven't did that, but she anointed my feet with perfume. She has done what you have not been able to do. And why did she do that? Because her sins, her many sins, have been forgiven. And what Jesus didn't say is, Simon, you got sins. You know what? They've not been forgiven yet. I think that's the implication there. We don't know what Simon's relationship with Jesus was, but we know in this case, he did not show love for Jesus as much as this woman did. Here's what I want us to think about today. We should all be able to identify with the woman on some level. If we've had an encounter with Jesus, we should... We sh our hearts should be filled with love toward him and want to serve him and show him love, not out of obligation. And that's a tough one. Again, I, I do this for a living, so there's, it's easier for me to see Jesus as boss. But that's not how the woman saw him. She saw Jesus as Savior, as a rescuer, redeemer. And she did this not out of obligation. She did it out of love. So we can all, should be able to identify with the woman on some level. But some of you are like me, can identify more with Simon. I know sometimes I identify with him. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, I'll admit, I can see non-Christians sometimes as less than. And that's just wrong. That is just wrong. I'm way better about that than I used to be, but sometimes it still gets to me. I hadn't planned this, but, but Hunter and I had experienced this just last Thursday. We were here at the church, uh, and, and um, as I walked out, Hunter was still getting work done, and I walked out, and I saw the police, three squad cars, uh, surround a guy who had been walking on the street, probably an a, a unhoused person, a homeless person. person who was, Cindy, what are, homeless, the person who was homeless, what's unhoused maybe a little unhinged too i don't know one or the uh, but 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 and and hunter and i got talking about that and i thought you know i thought to myself and it relates to this sermon sometimes i see that i have mixed emotions like man i'm glad the police took care of that because i think sometimes that the homeless inconvenience me and that's wrong that's wrong and we talked about that how that we need to that sometimes i have to work at it to say you know what that's not just a homeless person. That's a guy who's got feelings, a guy who's troubled, a guy, a guy who has problems, a guy who needs Jesus. And that's how I need to see them. That sometimes, you see we do this when we get mad, when we get more mad over the problems that homelessness causes us rather than being mad over the problems that cause homelessness. And the same thing as we look at sinners 
out there. I just use that term, general sinners. And brothers and sisters, we're all sinners. We're just ones that have been saved by grace. We've been freed from the power of sin in our lives, though we sometimes willingly yield back to it. We all do. But um, sometimes I look at sinners and I'm more upset sometimes about the problems that their sin causes rather for me rather than the problems that the sin causes for them and how the sin in their life breaks the heart of, of God and how the sin in their life costs the life of his son and then I remember wait a minute my sins also cost the life of his son and that's why I needed Jesus and why I needed forgiveness Simon did not see the woman he only saw a sinner he did not care for her or desire any change for her. He did not even recognize that she had treated Jesus better than that she had treated Jesus better than he did. But this woman was fortunate enough to be in the presence of Jesus. So she could see how Jesus loved her and cared for her. Here's the situation. Many people here in Fresno that we encounter every day have never been in the presence of Jesus and they don't know of his love and his care for them and the only clue they're going to have at the start is how we treat them and how we see them to learn to see them through the eyes of Jesus that's part of why we grow as Christians it's not the only reason but part of the reason we grow to become more like Jesus is so that we can see with his eyes we can we can relate to them with his heart that we can be the stand-in for Jesus until they meet him personally you might be the gatekeeper for someone who needs to see Jesus and all they can see is you right now and they need to see Jesus through you think about how you treat non-Christians or anyone who's not following God's will for their lives whether it be drug users or street people or those with alternative lifestyles, when we see them just based on their behaviors and their actions, we become like Simon. And we need to see them like Jesus. I want to bring this home for you one more story. The story, you'll see it has a few little problems to it, but I love this story for if we can take it and look at the spiritual aspect. It's not a spiritual story. Actually, it was, a, it was a story by a woman called Patricia McGear, McGear, written in Woman's Day magazine in 1965. Yes, for some of you, there was a, there was a 1965. It was long before you were born, but it was there. And, uh, but I love this story. It's a, the story that Patricia writes um, is made up, but it still is an excellent one, and uh, you can actually fact check this if you want to later. But I'm going to summarize the story. It's about a about a, 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 a visitor, an anthropologist, who goes and visits some South Pacific islands. And he meets some of the people and learning their culture and stuff. And these two mythical islands of Kenawata and Narabandi. So he's on the island of Kenawata, and he says this, the people of Kenawata all spoke highly of Johnny Lingo. Yet when they spoke, they smiled. And there was something behind it. And I said, ask, finally ask one of my friends there, I said, what is the deal here? Let me in on the joke. People seem to admire Johnny Lingo, but when they talk about him, there's something going on. My friend said, well, people just love to laugh. Johnny's the brightest, strongest young man on the islands. And for his age, he's the richest. 
But there's one thing. Five months ago, Johnny came over from Kenawada to Narabandi at the fall festival. He came to find a wife, and he paid her father eight cows. Now, ladies, let's stop right here. This was written in 1965. It was written by a woman. This is not about marriage, really, okay? But in that culture, that was the thing. You, 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 you paid for, you gave your, the guy gave his father-in-law a dowry for, for this, okay? So he said, and he paid her, paid her for, for eight cows. And the, the author says, I knew enough about culture to know that, that you know, three, four cows would pay, would pay for a, a pretty good wife, and, and five cows would be like, a highly desirable woman would be like five cows. And eight cows was unheard of. He said, good Lord, she must have been a beauty that you could not even imagine. My friend smiled and said, well, the kindest thing you could say about her, her name was Sarita, the kindest thing you could say about Sarita was that she was plain. All right, I don't know, guys. If you get somebody setting up for a blind date, well, how would you describe her? Well, she's plain. That, that doesn't sound very attractive, does it? But said she was plain. Um, you see, there was just problems. She walked with shoulders hunched. Her head was ducked. She was scared of her own shadows. Her dad thought he would be stuck with her all his life. And when people found out that Johnny Lingo was interested in her, all the cousins were saying, look, ask for four cows. And then hold out for two until you're absolutely sure that he'll only pay one. And then, you know, settle for that. So I thought, wow, that's just weird. I said, but Johnny walked up to her father and just said, Father of Sarita, I offer eight cows for your daughter. And people just thought that's hilarious that this old man was bested by this young guy who was supposed to be so rich. So the next afternoon, I, I, I took my boat to Nirabandi and I found Johnny. And I noticed as I was looking for him, people there spoke, to, spoke of him with an admiration that had no mockery in it at all. And when I met him at his house, he said, did you come here from Kenawada? And I said, yes. He smiled gently and said, my wife is from Kenawada. I said, I know. I heard the marriage settlement was eight cows. He looked startled. He said, in Kenawada, they know about the eight cows? And I said, why, yes, they do. And he puffed up his chest and said, and in Nirabundi, everyone knows about the eight cows. Whenever they speak of marriage settlements in the island, it will always be remembered that Sarita was paid for eight, with eight cows. He says, and then I saw her. She walked into the room. She was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. She came in to place flowers on the table and walked swiftly out again. The lift of her shoulders, the tilt of her chin, the sparkle in her eyes, all spelled a pride to which no one could deny her. And I turned to Johnny and said, she's glorious, but that can't be Sarita, can it? And he smiled and he said, there's only one Sarita. Maybe she doesn't look like how they said in Kenawada. And I said, no, how can she be so different? And he said, do you ever think what it means to a woman to know that her husband is settled for the lowest price. And then when women gather, one says, my husband paid four cows for me, mine paid three. How does it feel, the woman who was paid for with only one? And he said, that could not happen to my Sarita. So I asked him, did you do this just to make her happy? He said, oh, I wanted her to be happy, for sure. 
but I wanted more than that. You say she is different. This is true. Many things can change a woman, but the thing that matters is what she thinks of herself. In Kenawada, Sarita believed that she was nothing. Now she knows. She is worth more than any woman in the island. I loved her and I wanted no other. But I also wanted an eight-cow wife. Now, there's a lot of stories, a lot of problems with that story. All right? It's not quite as popular today. I have to make that disclaimer. And the story's not really about men, about treating your wife so she'll become what you want her to become. That's not what it's really all about. Sorry, I'm embarrassed by this, but anyway. Um, what it's really about is makes a great image of what happens in a person's life when Jesus sees them. Sarita was paid for with eight cows. You were paid for with the life of God's Son. God the Son, Jesus Christ. How much does that make you worth? That you were bought with a price. God's Son died for you to give you life, to give you a relationship with Him. And all the people out there, God died for them too. Jesus offered his life on the cross for them. And they are worth more than they could ever imagine until they know Jesus. That's our point. That's the message that God has given us. We have the ability to help people out there see themselves the way Jesus sees them. How can we communicate to people that Jesus loves them that he died on the cross for them and that he offers them forgiveness and freedom for their sins. Well, as we get to close, here's first a few things I want you to think about. Some ways you can do this. First, I think we all need to remember that Jesus loved you, loves you enough to die on the cross for you and to forgive your sins. We have to recognize that we are people of value, not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus has done for us. That should give us a boldness and a confidence that can overcome anything. Second, we need to see and treat others just like Jesus did to make sure we're treating them with the same kind of respect and love that Jesus did. If Jesus was willing to give his life for them, should not we be willing to be inconvenienced? Should we not be willing to go out of our way? Should we not be willing to open up our hearts and risk loving them too? Share to others that Jesus loves them. It's not just us loving them, but they need to know that Jesus loves them. Let them know that Jesus died for them. Let them know that Jesus offers them forgiveness and freedom from their sins as well. And then beyond that, pray for the opportunity to share the love of Jesus and the message of Jesus with someone this week. And there's two things there, the love of Jesus and the message of Jesus. They need to go hand in hand. Love without knowing where it's from is far short. We can't give them all the love they need ourselves. The message of Jesus without love is just a transactional thing. It's like purchasing your salvation. 
but when they know the love of Jesus and the message of Jesus, they can experience the heart of Jesus themselves. Now, there's one last thing I want us to do. On your handout, little handout you have on the back, there's a post-it note. And I want to do something for you. Hunter, can you bring that around here for me, please? All right, I want you to do this. We don't do things like this very often in our church, but I want you just to write and I, write the initials of someone that you want to pray for, that you're saying, I will pray for this week, that I will look for opportunities to share with them the love of Jesus. And they're just initials because it'll be where people can see. Or you can write a name if you want to. If they don't think they'll ever see this, that's okay. But just the initials of somebody. And as we do that, once you've written them down, I want you to just come here as an act of obedience to stick that post-it note right here. We won't know who they are, but your staff will pray for them on Wednesday. I'll be praying for them regularly. Just come up right where you are right now. Hunter's going to lead us in a song. This will be our invitation you to come and do what God wants you to do but then also in that little square that you've exposed write that name down there and take it with you to remind you to be praying for them this week remind you to be looking for opportunities to share with them and reminding you to treat them as Jesus did with love and respect and hope